Welcome, everyone, to our 200th podcast. We finally made it. This is the podcast extra number 200. Everybody look into a camera. Because we are recording this. And now, we haven't done this since number 100. And Jeremy, you looked at number 100 the other day. I did. And what did you find that was kind of Looked or listened? Looked. No. We we, we videoed, right? We just said we videoed that one, too. Of course I heard that. Yeah. I was paying attention, Darcy. Yeah. No, it was it was good. Greg looked five years younger, I would have to say. And Ezra, wow, that's a lot of aging. So I look 12. I was going to say, <laughs> the guy's already got a baby face. What does five years younger look like? But he can grow a better beard than anyone here, except maybe you. No, no. Okay. He can't grow a better beard than me. You have to understand. This we is a very beard on. If I, if Jeff, I just let it go... You wouldn't be able to see my eyes. Chip <laughs> <laughs> actually has to shave up, up and around here, in fact. Wow. He comes there's, the- there's a lot of hair. <laughs> Ezra, on, on that 100th episode, you were wearing your puffy coat. Yes, I was. So yep. if people want to see what we're mocking, you Ezra's could. wearing the BC turkey now coat Now he's got today. the BC turkey <laughs> coat. Yeah. Nice. Where is you North BC shirt. turkey. And he's complaining he's really hot. He's, I am warm. You you you're sweating right now. There, there, there are lights on me. Honestly, he's already got the sweat rag out. He's patted himself down twice. Yes. He's sweating like he's preaching right now, man. <laughs> no kidding. We might need to give him a bottle of water. I'm worried that he might be dehydrated by the end of this. You can take your coat off. Jeff. You, you can't. Leave me alone. Why are you still wearing the coat if you're hot? Leave me alone, Jeff. Wait, I got something that can help. Right. I have something that can help. Now, Kyle's not here. Yes. He sends uh-huh. his regrets. We have uh, Andy is here. Why are you, you yelling? I just, I'm excited. <laughs> 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 You're yelling so much. Hey, everyone. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. It's throwing the sound thing off in the recording. Uh, Ezra's here. Hey. Just in case you don't know who everybody is, Jeff is here. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Jeff. Yeah. Greg is here. Hello. I mean, Greg is here. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, the producer, is here. Hello. And I'm Darcy, and I will be hosting this incredible 200th episode. Um, I do have to say, first of all, a very special thank you to, um, well, there's been one one thing that's been here the whole time of, I think, every podcast, which none of us can say, hmm. this blanket. I oh. think it was at number one, and it's still here for number 200, and it's still looking good. Wow. Well, nice. it's looking. Um <laughs> I've never been a fan of this tablecloth, to be honest. Or, but blanket, blanket cloth. What? Why? Is it? I a- don't know. Something about it. <laughs> it's a type of plaid, but it's not a plaid. And this, well, this feels like a nap blanket. So to that kind of ruins like the fact I got t-shirts made out of this for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to yeah take about those that. Out now. I wouldn't wear that. Um, and last week I announced that Greg there was something would. big we we're going to announce on this podcast. I'm going to let it out of the bag. I haven't even told you guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. We are now once again. I almost heard it by the way on Sunday. We just let him you almost heard what? <laughs> what it was? I almost heard the secret. Oh, that's Just a different saying. secret. Oh, that's a different secret. Yeah. There's that, a lot of secrets going on to What is it? The big announcement is we are now, once again, after after quite a break, going to start accepting food again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure right? how I feel about that. So if you want to bring food in, you can bring it in. We record on Tuesdays at 1030. It's Hot, the- cold, doesn't matter. Just we'll eat it. We'll <laughs> give it a go, right, Jeff? 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the big announcement. That's the big announcement. Oh, yeah. Isn't that great? That is good. <laughs> People can cook for us. Yeah. What a so in our, we'll on our two, can I, can now we won't complain. On our, 200th, on our 200th episode, yeah, right. can, we, can we all recall our favorite podcast moment? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Okay. So the, our favorite podcast moment. Now, sure. I did not warn any of you for no. that. What's yours? <laughs> My mine actually is of Chris Ross when he was first here, uh, years like he was one of the early yeah the early, early days that when yeah. he sat down at the podcast he stared at the he'd stare at the microphone like it was an ice cream cone, <laughs> and he'd just stare at it while he was talking to the microphone, visualizing that it was the face of his friend. It was great. That was my favorite podcast yeah. moment. Wow. Out of all 200, that was yeah. it, huh? Greg, any idea? Uh, yeah, my favorite <clears throat> moment is probably when Ezra and I got an opportunity to interview Ryan Walter. Oh, that's right. In in his office, in the bowels of the Abbotsford Sports Center. Yes. And we had a really cool conversation about what it was like to be a Christian guy in the NHL in the 80s and 90s. and. Mm-hmm. It was I, as a hockey fan. It was just a. It was a fun opportunity for me to meet. So the podcast is given has given back to you. <clears throat> yeah, that's why it's my favorite Pro- moment. Probably <laughs> more than you've given to it. More than I ever could. And you took it on the road, and that was probably the first. And then the next time we took it on the road was a disaster. <laughs> where yeah. Did you, where do you take it? The wheels on the bus. That episode where we had it in the where all the guys on staff were going. To a soccer game, I think, yeah. mm. and we tried doing a live recording on the bus. Yeah, that fell apart. Yeah, it fell apart really <laughs> Very quickly. quickly. That's one of my favorite moments, though. Okay, just seeing that fall apart. Good. That's so your fast. favorite moment, Jeremy. You've been here all year. Do you have a favorite moment? They're all pretty good. To They're me. all pretty yeah. Even, yeah, evenly. Says the intern who every, wants to finish every up the year. Every Tuesday is a joy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not your three more. Uh, can I have two favorite moments? Um, yeah, of course you can. Thank you. Appreciate that. First. Favorite, well, this would be my second favorite, but I'll say it first, was one, I think this was only a couple podcasts ago, we were podcasting, and towards the end, I looked over and Jeremy, the intern, was nodding off. <laughs> he, he was, was asleep. Yeah, it was one of those moments, no. like when I'm talking yes. to my wife, actually, and that was a good he, yeah, moment. The eyes are closing, he's, he's bobbing his head and he'd pull it back, and glad you're with us, Jeremy. Yeah. It was that, was that interesting. It was at that moment you realized that maybe the podcast's not as interesting. <laughs> we think it's great, but yeah. so that was that was classic. My other one would be definitely the Ezra Jeff race. Yeah, I use that word loosely. <laughs> but my favorite part in it was standing beside Jeremy and him beginning to announce, get your cold beer. <laughs> and I look over and I think to myself, I don't know that you've drank in a beer in your life. <laughs> this is which Jeremy? Uh, Jeremy, oh yeah. Jeremy Lobdell. Jeremy, Jeremy Lobdell. Yeah. Jeremy Lobdell, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it just caught me by such surprise it kind of overshadowed the race, in fact. <clears throat> Ezra, what was your favorite moment? Remember the episode where uh, Ambers brought us oh. lunch? Yeah. Oh. oh, that was a great moment. Yeah, it, it wasn't, so it wasn't what a moment we on the about. podcast. It was it basically was food. the food that we enjoyed. Yeah. Oh wow. man, it was great. Yeah. Can we and just give it. a shout out to Ambers? Oh mm-hmm. man, it's a great food. It is great, great. In mission. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Go there. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Darcy, for <laughs> indulging me. Okay, so we did something big. Check Darcy, that. Darcy oh, hasn't told yeah. us. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah I did. The, the bus uh, one. Uh, and also, Jeremy said, Jeremy Lobdell said something one time that I didn't catch right as we were closing. 
And I think you three were on the ground laughing. And I can't even remember what it was. Yeah, we I'm can't sure we, we want to repeat we, it. We can't either. But he said something. You guys could. I mean, Greg was just on the floor laughing, could not help himself. You know what's going well when Greg starts laughing and he just pushes himself away from the table? That's just going to disturb everybody. Okay. This, Actually, I, you know what? What? I think Jeremy said that the... No, no, let's when, just, we don't need to, when you were, no, 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 Ezra, Ezra, we don't need to go into what was said, all right, okay, we're trying to keep it Jimmy. G, and I've already got a habit of being PG, I'm sorry, Darcy, can you please continue, what did you call me? I, I don't know, can, can you please continue, keep going, okay. yeah, that'd be fun, now, thank you, one of our, one of our longtime listeners brought in a special uh, gift, for this occasion, which I think this could become one of my favorite moments on the podcast. Just a minute. Somebody's calling me. <laughs> Why are you going to take a phone call right now? Somebody actually it's is from, from LA. Okay. No, no, no you, you probably shouldn't take your phone no, call from Los Angeles during the podcast. I got a call from Florida the other day. Okay. What are, are we doing? What are we doing with are the you podcast? Losing and then I got a call. <laughs> my mom? No. Uh, for you and you, a special gift from one of our longtime listeners. You and you is. Well, now that they're video cameras, not everybody's <laughs> watching it. You should be watching a video. Ezra and uh, Andy. Andy. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but you have to you have to do this. There's a longtime listener came by, dropped this off, and said this is a special gift for you guys on this occasion. You're not assuring. This is unassuring. I'm I'm concerned. Oh. So you guys go ahead. Get that. <laughs> wig. What did oh, you get? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Don't think I won't walk. No, can this. you please put it on? Absolutely. We gotta yeah, see what okay. this looks like. See, we can't do this when oh, it's man. just. Oh man! If you're not watching on video now, this is an this Andy. Is, this is Andy Steiger in high school. Dude, that, that's a so good we, look we for you. Andy, I think that's a woman's wig. Where's the front? So the front. I do. They, they are a women's wig. I don't think it really matters. It doesn't matter. You've, if you've ever wondered what I look like with hair, now you know. This is what my wife saw, <laughs> and she said yes to my proposal. <laughs> Like highlighted. I actually did have blonde hair at one time. I dyed it blonde. Andy actually. That is a good look. <laughs> As a, you look like you should be selling drugs on the street corner. Really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. Thank you to that special uh, that nice. long time Let, listener. Hey, we need to take a selfie. We, totally. Totally. Can you email? Should we just pause while you do that? Okay, can you We on. also have our special happy uh, 200th episode <laughs> Don't cake that, that uh, somebody brought in. For us, it is apparently one of the best chocolate cakes in all of Abbotsford. I believe it's very much good. Okay, we're, we're tweeting <laughs> so that. So I'm not sure Greg is going to be able to eat any of that. Um, but Jeff, because you're the lead pastor. I get the chocolate disc at the what? top? No, it's a, it's a button. <laughs> put it on your chest. Is it chest eatable? Is it, can it. I eat it? It is edible, yes. <laughs> it is edible. Yeah, I'll uh, go. Wow, Jeff is eating something. Okay. There's oh, a, one a hair on there. Yeah, one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Darren leaves the hair on the cake. <laughs> one other thing. Now, we've been mocking Andy a lot. Oh, but he he has decided. <laughs> sorry, that, I'm sorry. Has every has every camera angle got to got to leave that? He has decided to give each one of you a special 200th episode. I already have a book a, from him. A, a, uh, Jeff has a sign one saying, "Do not nice. interrupt me. <laughs> Don't interrupt me ever again." Now, <laughs> oh, actually, we gave that one away. <laughs> now Kyle is not here. Mm. 
But he uh, he was recently in Thailand, and we've been mocking Andy a lot about his book, right? I a mean, lot. You've been getting it a lot. Yeah. And, you know, he's really not been appreciated around here. Who, Andy? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So Kyle went all the way to Thailand and mm-hmm. actually found some people that appreciate the book. Uh, in appreciation for knowing the Roost Center staff, we thank them for their wonderful work here and to encourage them in the faith. On behalf, of, on behalf of North Blue Community Church, Apologetics Canada, and our very own beloved bald man, Andy Steiger. <laughs> Not bald right now. That's right. Present Lloyd with a sign talking of thinking. See how excited they are? She bowed, Jeff. You didn't bow when you got my copy. From the Reverend Steiger. She doesn't even know what to do with those books that she's got. She kind of looked at them and thought, I don't know. These will make some good good books. Who's and Oz for right. Andy's book? International, buddy. It's gone international. It's There's gone one copy in Thailand. Oh, sweet. There is uh, Kate coming around for uh, all you gentlemen, so make sure you enjoy that. All right. <sighs> one of our uh, former podcasters, John Pazook. Sent in a email and said, please pass on my congrats to the podcast crew for this most auspicious day. And then he asked the question, so what do you think about yoga? <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to get into that, are we? No. No. We're not going to address it? No. No. Huh? It's already been addressed. Oh, that cake looks so good. Okay. Let's just say... Keep going. We're not going to address it. <laughs> You're enjoying that hair, aren't you? So, uh, 200th episode... There has only been a few TV shows that actually made it 200 episodes. Now, I'm not including in, in TV shows soap operas because they're in the tens of thousands, Wow, believe it or not. But, for instance, we have now beaten <coughs> Who's the Boss? Only at 196 episodes. Which was a legit TV show, yep. by the way. Deal or No Deal, <coughs> at 197. Beavis and Butthead only made it to 200. So we're going to... We're going to beat them. Jeff, did you watch that TV show as a kid? Don't I did not. Me. I did not. You I did, did not either. Uh-uh. I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not eating cake. The 70s show, 200. Didn't watch that either. Coach? Did watch that. It made it to 200. They're going to do a remake of that, I heard. That one was not good. Bones is at 200 right now. I so whether it'll is. continue. The Office? 201. Ooh. So we are, and Walker, Texas Ranger, we got a ways to go. I saw them. 203. I used to watch them film that in Dallas. Which? Walker, Texas Ranger. That that was, that was a show. That was a show. Did you get to see Chuck? Yeah. Chuck? You saw Chuck. Oh, really? Chuck Norris. Yeah. Can I touch your eyes? He and I are buddies. Your eyes have seen him? (laughs) I want to touch your eyes. (laughs) Okay. That disturbs me. <laughs> I just want to get your guys' opinion now on these uh, on these news stories that have come out recently. Mm-hmm. Whether you think it was good, bad, stupid, whatever. This cake's delicious, by the way. Is it? It is. It's delicious. Two families from Montreal, uh, just fathers and sons, two mm. families, made a 3,300-kilometer road trip to go get some original Kentucky Fried Chicken. So go to the original location to get KFC. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got too much time. Three of the boys, three of the sons, have never had never had KFC before. Mm-hmm. And they were like 12. Mm-hmm. Had never had it. Mm-hmm. Good idea, bad idea? The horror. 
Bad I, first idea. of all, I worked at KFC for two weeks of my life. Really? I did. And uh, those were two years. Those <clears throat> are two weeks I'll never get back. Let's just say that. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I mean, I would say I think it may have been a good bonding time, father son bonding time for the trip. So <laughs> yes, it was. They went and got food, but I think the adventures they had on the way made it memorable for them. So good for them. You know, KFC is very much like uh, Chinese food in that it's always a good idea before it happens mm -hmm. and a very bad one after. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Even during. Uh, you kind you of, kind of start you, going, you realize Ooh. halfway through that this, this is happen. not going to be what it is that <clears throat> I had hoped it would be. Yeah. Do we yeah. know that the original KFC has like way better chicken than the other No, KFCs? it's just that it was the original location. That's where they wanted to go pay homage. Did they have a double down? I, it doesn't say if what not, what a waste Has of a anybody trip. had a double down <laughs> at the table? What's I have no idea no. what that is. Okay, KFC double down is two breaded chicken patties as the bun, oh, yeah. and in between bacon, cheese, and mayonnaise. You can't go wrong with that. You know, I actually think that I'm surprised that we didn't have that for our 200th, because now you're talking. Have nothing like celebrating no, 200 not, by but dying of a heart attack. <laughs> I have not had one of those, but I, I have thought that that would be quite an adventure. Really? It, okay. I have. I, I, yeah. Well, speaking of double downs, did you guys hear about this story? A couple getting married, and his name is Joel Berger, and her name is Ashley King. So Burger it's the King. Burger King wedding. <laughs> this is all true story. Look, it's all over the news. Look, it's on the internet. It's on, <laughs> it must be true. <laughs> They're, they, they've known each other since they were in fifth grade, and Burger King is actually paying for the whole. Really? Wedding. Yeah. The reception. Really? Yeah. Whoppers. So <laughs> if 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 my last name was Ruth and I married a, a Chris, wow. I wonder if Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Would cater my wedding. Probably Wait not. Wait a minute, I'm already married. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't gonna work. And you'd have to change your name. And there's, yeah. Um, a Utah man returns 75 Sorry. pound bag you of cash. Know, you always know it's not gonna be good at the beginning when you start with that line. Utah man? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. For all those of you who are in Utah. If uh, you are listening from Utah, we'd love to. Like, know that. Yeah. I mean, how many anybody. of his wives are in this story, too? Oh. <laughs> oh. What? He went there. What? <laughs> so this Utah man got a surprise when he stopped to pull a large orange bag off the highway, fearing it would become a traffic hazard. <coughs> Good thing to do. When he looked inside, he found stacks of cash. I thought it was going to be light. I reached down to grab it, and I couldn't move it. It was approximately four feet tall, two feet wide, the sack was filled with smaller bags packed with currency, including $1,500 $1, bills. He estimated each small bag contained about $22,000. They don't know how much is in it yet. Apparently, some Brinks armored truck went over a bump. <laughs> and it dropped one out the back. Open. No <laughs> way. It, and it fell out. Glad to see they're secure. Yeah. But Unbelievable. This, is, this speaks good about humanity. Mm -hmm. This Utah man who you guys or all Utah just man. mocked. No, Paid for his eight weddings with it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Death free. Wow. <laughs> he said it never occurred to him to do anything other than turn the money in. Good for him. There is hope for humanity. Apparently in Utah. In Utah. In Utah. <laughs> All right. There's so many jokes I want to tell. On that no, story. no, no, no. Let's right. just let's leave the let's leave the Utah. Field Maybe just one more. Why I have this bite of cake? He in couldn't. Peace. I know. I already ate my cake. He could not give the money only in one? to the Church of the Latter Day Saints. He had to. Yes. He. Yeah. No, that okay. one wasn't as good as no, the last one. No, no, the other first two were a little bit 
Yeah. I like the last one it's best. Good to okay. your jokes out live. Yeah. What? Okay, next one. Next one. I'm honestly getting bored of this. So. <laughs> I'm not alone. You should have a piece of cake. <laughs> I'm not alone. Well, you should stop reading Andy's book. Well, I'm currently going to tweet the picture, the selfie I took with Andy. Okay, you tweet it. Okay, so we do have some questions that have come in, and so we'll get right on these. We're only uh, 20 minutes into the podcast, but it's a special one. 20 minutes in. On the 200 on the podcast. 200. And here are two questions that we'll talk 20. about. 20. We'll try to get 20. 20. <laughs> Speed round. <laughs> if the hope of Easter is in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead... Why do we make such a big deal of Good Friday? Isn't Easter Sunday more of a cause for celebration? Sure, but Good Friday is the day when, when uh, Christ was on the cross. And so when, we're, when we celebrate Good Friday, we're talking about the atonement. Hmm. So that's why we make a big deal about it. You know, it's interesting, though, how uh, sometimes churches are very focused on the atonement and what Christ has done on the cross, so much so that people don't, um, they, they think that, the, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was all that happened. In fact, I, mm. and the resurrection was sort of just a happy ever after <clears throat> moment. That seems to me in our, in our Christian culture to be more of an error than the, the opposite, where we don't make much of the cross, right. but it's only about the resurrection. Because a lot of churches will have a crucifix up with Jesus on the cross. Right. Well, if you're Roman Catholic, yeah. <clears throat> That, that's it. We, the, the thing is, yes, the cross. But we is don't this, have that. Our crosses are empty. <clears throat> yes, the cross is the center centerpiece of Christianity because it's where, uh, you know, there are several different uh, images and meanings of the atonement. It's where the victory over all the powers took place. It's where Christ uh, demonstrated his, his authority. It's where uh, he took the wrath of God and um, w in our place. There's all sorts of things happen at the cross. But the resurrection is God is Him validating that He He raised for our, was raised for our justification. That's the language of the Scripture. Uh, it it what gives is justification it, it, for our, for a righteous standing before God. He uh, demonstrated that death no longer holds Him uh, or anyone who follows Him. The, so, if the resurrection hadn't happened, Christianity is bunk. Yeah. Paul does not say that about the cross. Now. It's true that if the cross had never happened, Christianity's bunk, and it, it's meaningless because it, it is not finished, right? Right. Mm -hmm. um, but <clears throat> both are necessary and should be celebrated. And Jesus could have died anytime, in, any in any kind of right. way, in any different time. Yeah. Yeah. But but I, it usually is the opposite. I've actually talked to people. Who were like, I thought the resurrection. Greg, didn't you have a conversation with somebody mm. about that like recently? Yeah, I was speaking at a chapel at a school in town and uh, talking about the resurrection and the hope of it. And someone came up to me afterwards and said, I just thought, I thought the big deal was the cross and that the resurrection was like the happy ending to the story. So why? And I made the claim if <clears throat> if Christ stayed dead, Christianity's stupid. Yeah. But if he actually rose again, then everything he said is true, and mm. we should give our lives to follow him. Mm -hmm. And that that kind of language startled this person to the point where they were like, I just thought it was a happy ending, so it wasn't a sad story, but a happy one. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting. Everything, both in the past, present, and future, it's all pointing to the resurrection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that the, this, is, this is the centerpiece of Christianity upon which everything mm -hmm. depends. <clears throat> So another, oh, by, by the way, can yeah. I just, you would say the same. You would say that the cross, longer? though. You would say the cross, though, 
is part of that. Like the point is that you can't separate <clears throat> these two: death and resurrection, cross and resurrection, That's right? right? Well, and and the 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 birth, right? That this is what I was talking well, to my kids about. If he about. wasn't born, he wouldn't have been. Right, but yeah, that, so. that Christ lived, mm. right. died, and lives again. Yes. And this is an important part, and I think this is important too to juxtapose with the Lazarus story. Mm. Lazarus died again. Yes. Right. He was mm-hmm. brought back to life, but he died again. And this is a, this was a, I think a, an important point of the resurrection. People forget is that he lives. Yes. That Jesus yeah. never died again. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and he's I, the first fruit <clears throat> of what will be the case for, for us. For first us. fruits meaning that the first part of the harvest, mm-hmm. yeah. which the Lord will bring in. And I think this is important too because in, with the disciples saw Lazarus rise from the dead, mm-hmm. that did not convince them to die for Jesus. They all abandoned him. Notice that immediately after the Lazarus story, we head into the the trial and death of Jesus, and they all they all abandoned him. But what did they see with regards to Jesus that that was different? And I would I like the way Habermas says it. He says that they saw walking, talking, eternal life. They saw a man that would never die again. I, I think that they saw something different. So can I make a comment though about? This is which goes down a bit of a rabbit trail, but let me just start down the rabbit trail, and maybe we can stop because I don't want to get way too into it. But um, when we read the New Testament and the Gospels, we need to recognize that they're being written by people who actually have experienced uh, seeing Christ after the resurrection. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I, there's a value in entering ourselves into the story and saying, well, the, they didn't know at this point that Jesus was going to whatever, but the writer did. And so when the writer writes, when John writes the story of Lazarus, it's one of the seven signs in John pointing to, pointing to uh, belief in Christ. There's a reason that he uses the Lazarus story. He is deliberately trying to say mm-hmm. this is a foreshadow mm-hmm. of what Christ will do and is what Jesus, because he rose from the dead, because he's the king, because he's the Christ, the son of the... The, the Son of God. This is what He does for mm-hmm. people. Just like the, yeah. just like the turning the water to wine <laughs> earlier on in in the Book of John, is expressing something about what Christ has come to do. He's come to actually turn uh, to to give you the greatest party. That's what heaven will be. That's what the kingdom is. It's the greatest party with the best wine. He he gives sight to the blind. This is what he comes to do: is to restore our vision, not just physically, but in all ways. Uh, that he has power over. But my, my point is that John chooses these seven different stories. Uh, stories, these seven different signs, these miracles, which is the resurrection of Jesus, is the is the end one to point to something that Jesus comes to do, and to give evidence. There's signs that you should believe in that Jesus is who he say, said he would be. Uh, my, my point, though, is that when a writer comes along and they write one of these books, one of the, the Gospels, they are writing it from the standpoint of somebody who's already under the resurrection's already happened. And so sometimes we get into that and say, well, look, at this point in the story, they don't know. Well, actually, they do know. The writer knows. So just be careful in the way that you understand some of that. And I'm not saying, Andy, that you you did that. It's just some of the language you used se- seemed to say, well, no, you can't. That Lazarus died again. That's not the point. The, the writer's not saying that. He's actually putting this forward to say, well, actually, Lazarus is, going to, is experiencing what we all will experience because Christ later rose. So I'm, I'm all with you there. I definitely think the writer's building a case and everything's moving to the resurrection. I just think it's important for us to see how 
the resurrection is distinctly different from other things that we see or other things even in history that may have happened, right? right? Yes. That we could go, okay, look, the, the resurrection though is Right, different. the resurrection of Jesus. Like, like a near-death experience. Right, even, and right? he, no, he no, didn't the resurrection die again. Is different. That's yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. That's my point. Right. <clears throat> what is the significance of Jesus being dead for three days? You know, I was on. If you want to go online, you can actually look at Chalice.com. He does a reflection on the what happens in the intervening days. That's the next question. What, um, what happens? Yeah, in you, there? You, and I'm going to point people to the internet mostly because it's a largely neglected piece of theology. Can I say, add though? It's neglected because there's not a lot written about it in the New Testament. We don't have a lot of description, right? So we have in the yeah. Apostles' Creed, he descended into mm-hmm. hell. And so, so there's a few, <clears throat> there's Peter. some, there's some, a few kind of vague references in the in the New Testament that are hard sometimes to understand. Even the passage in First Peter is a little bit difficult to make sense. Ministering of. to the spirits, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, what does that mean and stuff? And so, it's it. The reason it's sort of neglected is because nobody's really sure. Mm exactly what happens. But I'm going to point to Chalice.com, and he wrote an article uh, on it, I think. Am I right about that? I, I think it's Chalice.com that he wrote an article just recently about it. It's one of the most neglected aspects. Oh, I might be wrong about what the website is. And you <laughs> I love the fact that we do this live. Yeah. I should have looked it up. I, I think it Ezra's is. going to find it. One of the things that would be significant to note is that he was dead. Um, and and the other thing, too, and I know this is just kind of a <coughs> no-brainer, but that he prophesied that it would be... He said he would do this. Yeah, that he said he yeah. would. If you read through Mark's gospel in particular, he says it repeatedly, over and over again. He says, I'm going to go do this. This is one of the points that, that I think you made, Greg, when you were talking about this on Good Friday, that Jesus didn't... This didn't just sort of, sort of happen to him. Hmm. That he, he goes and... He, no, I take it back. It wasn't you. It was Ezra. I get you guys confused a lot. Ezra was speaking about this similar. about the the in Mark's gospel. He plan the plan was that he goes there. So like even when he when Jesus, if you read Mark's gospel, you see that Jesus is like he knows that there's going to be a cult tied to a door or a post at this location when there's I don't know two million people in the city, and that's just crazy. But they go and they find it's exactly the way it is. And the reason that the writer's putting that is that Jesus wasn't duped into this. Like Judas didn't just pulling over him where Jesus was like, oh, nuts. Ah, oh, I wish I could have figured that out ahead of time. That's not the way the story is written. The story is written that Jesus went, went to the cross with full knowledge of what was going to happen there. And he, and he still went. So it's, it's, a, it's a great mm-hmm. point. Yeah, nobody, n- nobody yeah, pulled the wool over his eyes. Right. Good. Um, Great. A couple of weeks ago, you preached a sermon on the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, and that was... Yeah, uh, I preached a sermon on Matthew 11. Right. That Jesus said, what? He said, what? And so here, there's a couple of questions that have it's come like in. 30 questions have come <laughs> in, no, Just a couple. Uh, dear pastors, I believe that our Father has predestined me to be his own child. I praise God that he chose me even before he created the universe. I also believe that Jesus Christ took on himself all the sins of all people of all time. To me, chosen for salvation means God has chosen each person personally, specifically, and intentionally. It's not that God excluded others, but it's so precious that he chose me. Therefore, I believe that chosen by God means that God has individually and specifically chosen each member of the human race to be forgiven and to become full-fledged members of his family. I mean, that's... 
that's n- not reflected in the text of Scripture. That, that God has chosen each individual of the human race, without exception, right. to be a part of the elect is just not the way that, that the would language you, you of chosen go, is used. Are you, are you thinking, sorry, I just want to be specific. Are you saying yeah. the passage you were preaching? No. Or are you saying No, I'm saying that the, la- that the language of chosen nowhere in Scripture reflects each person without exception. There's always been an elect. There's always been some who have been chosen by God. I hear him saying... Well, I see people are going to go, well, what about John 3.16? No, no. God, the, God, the, the Jesus language is, of election is not used there, though. Okay, so that's where I'm trying to get specific here. So we're yep. going to say in the so what is language the, of election. What does the word elect okay. mean? It, it, the word elect means to choose out from a group. So that, that's, just, that's just what the word means. So it does mean okay? some so, are so, chosen so, and some so are not. So just say that everybody is chosen is to do great damage to just simple mm-hmm. grammar. Like mm-hmm. it's not, that's not what the word means. The mm-hmm. word means to choose out from a group. And so you have passages of scripture that say that, right? Many are called, few are chosen. You have, you have the, the language that there, there is an elect. The reason that Paul uses that language, I suffer all these things for the sake of the elect, 2 Timothy chapter 2. What does he mean by that? He means that those whom God has chosen out of all of humanity. So I'll, I'll, I'll go to Romans chapter 9, which is apparently the, the thing that you did, Greg, was the great sin I think that you did in your sermon was read this text. Um, sorry, I'm being joking. Although I am surprised at how many people recoil when they just read R- Romans 9. And it's not just this this situation when, when Greg read it in, in church. I, every time I've ever read it in a pulpit, and that's 20 years of pulpit ministry, it's shocking to me how few people have actually ever sat down and read Romans 9 and just read it. Mm. And they recoil and say, well, surely it must mean something else. Or there must be some hidden meaning under the plain meaning because it can't be that way. Even though Paul is expressly answering the very objections that are brought upon the doctrine in the text itself, they say, well, there's no way it can mean that. Actually, it does. And this is coming from somebody who spent a good three years of his life nearly every day trying to fight the meaning of Romans 9 and finally had to give in to it. But the language, for example, of election, uh, you get uh, Paul, uh, Romans 9.22, what if God, this is Romans 9.22, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction? That's a reference to Pharaoh and those like him is the context here, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, that's a reference to Moses and the people of Israel, the context, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Listen now, even us whom he has called, not from, there's the word, from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So here you have a body of people, the Jews, you have a body of people, the Gentiles, and those who are chosen by God are called out from these groups. It is, I'm just saying this, historically, very few people have been able to argue uh, that God chose everyone. In fact, I, I, don't know any, I don't know anyone who is respected within the academy anyway who argues that viewpoint because the Bible just doesn't say that. They will say that the, the debate here is around on what basis God elects. 
Okay, that's within the Orthodox teaching Christianity. I don't mean I mean small O Orthodox. I don't mean the Christian Ortho, you know, Eastern Orthodox. Mm-hmm. I mean that what has been taken to be true by Christians and endorsed at church councils for centuries is that God has elected a group. Now, now we can debate, and we do debate, the basis for that election. But we are not saying that God chose everybody. And, hey, it means to me that God chose me and he chose everybody else. That's meaningless. That, that just, that's meaningless to the grammar of the scriptures. So for Paul to say that I suffer all these things for the sake of the elect, that would mean that you, he suffers everything for the sake of everybody. That, that's not what he's saying in 2 Timothy 2. There's just no way you can make it say that unless you just want to, you just are so against the idea that God would select out of humanity a certain group for salvation that you just will not go there. Well, and I think that's the issue. Well, right? let, let me respond to this, though. People often will say, I don't believe in a, I can't believe in a God like that. Right. And I'm, I'm interested to have Andy interact with me a little bit on this. You do believe in a God like that. What, what, no matter what viewpoint you have on this, if you establish, now follow me, if you establish that God knows the future, which every Orthodox believer I know holds that viewpoint. There is a, there is a, 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 there is a strain of Christianity today that is arguing against God's knowledge of the future. It's the open theist camp. We are not them. It has largely been claimed to be, no, that's outside the bounds of Orthodox Christianity, okay? But let's leave that to the side. If you establish that God knows the future, then you either say that God chose a certain group to be his people, the elect, to be his people, based purely on his decision, okay? Or you say God chose a certain group based upon what he foresaw in their response to him given a certain set of circumstances. And so Greg here, God has orchestrated Greg's life in such a way that Greg would respond to him. God saw that if he orchestrated Greg's life in that particular way, that Greg would respond to him in that way. Therefore, he chooses Greg based upon what he foresees in Greg's response to that set of circumstances. Man, I hope that made sense. Mm It would probably be helpful to tell people what that... Right. So that's an Arminian view, the one I just said right. and to Greg. And the other view is... is, is it is particularly comes out of Molin, Molinism. Right. Right. So so there, there are different words that we can use here. I'm trying to stay away from the theological terms just because I, I want to... I just to want to give it out so people would know where to go to find right. more information. So, but here, here's the problem. There was a point in time... If, if you establish that, no, God makes his choice based upon what he foresees in someone's response to him if given a certain second, like if I orchestrate the world in this way, that person will choose, okay? God has chosen to create a world where only certain people respond. So it doesn't matter what viewpoint you have here. God has chosen to create a world where only some people are saved. So for you to say to me, well, I, I don't believe God's like that, that he would create, that, that there's a world where only some people, be, that's the world that God chose to create if he has any kind of knowledge of the future at all. He knows who will choose. And I, I hate to say this, no matter what viewpoint you have here, there is a determinism in it. Because God chose to create the world if you hold to a viewpoint that says he'd made his decision based on what he foresaw in people, he, God chose to create the world, that world. There is no plan B. There's no other world that he's made. There could have been, 
a world that's different than that, but, but he didn't make that world. He made this world where only certain people believe. Well, so there's a determinism in it either way you go. So the, the, the God you can't believe in is the very God who is, regardless of whether he chose to do it based upon what he foresaw in you or a choice that he just makes. I've got biblical material here. Now, there's some pushback, that, obviously, that people are going to make with mm-hmm. regards to this. Mm-hmm. The one, one pushback that people are going to say is clearly God has chosen and election is correct at some level. That, right. I mean, and you can't get away from that. Right. In the, the Bible. Fact, in the Bible, because God chose Israel. It's the language. He chose them from, from out of the nations. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, there's no question about that. He chose Israel. And it doesn't seem to be any specific reason why. To, mm-hmm. to display just, his glory. Uh, to the nations. Other, other than that, but right. nothing mm-hmm. particular about them. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, that, so there's that. But I think one thing, though, that a lot of people need to appreciate when Paul's talking is I think uh, often, I'm not saying this is always the case, but often Paul is talking about a Jew-Gentile election, and people want to immediately jump to predestination. And I don't think that that does justice to the Scriptures when Paul is clearly making arguments to the Jews that are upset that the Gentiles are being included into this mm-hmm. uh, salvation. And that, that I see often in Scripture, he's talking about that sort of election and not immediately this predestination. So can I rephrase your language here? He, he, I, think, I think what you're saying is that there are places where God, Paul is talking about corporate election, meaning he chooses, yes, yes. nations. Yep. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to disagree with you that... that m- that there are places, in fact, where he, he's talking both corporately and individually, and it's difficult to divorce those two from each other. In fact, Romans 9 is dealing with the very question of why don't all the Jews believe if God chose them? And Paul's, That's a huge question Paul's response to that is God's word has not failed because God has an elect within his elect nation. So that, that's the argument of Romans 9. Not only that, but that's the text I just read to you, but he's chosen also from the Gentiles, even us, he says, who he's chosen from Jews and Gentiles. And so God has elected a people out from both Gentiles and from Jews to be his ch- chosen possession. But interestingly enough, in this time, corporate election is going to be much more significant than, to them than personal election. I, the, the question you have to answer not, is what do the texts That's what I'm trying to argue. Say. As I would say that it makes more sense corporate I than it does d- personal. I fully disagree. Uh, and I know, I know, of course, no, I knew I, you were going to totally, disagree. I totally disagree because, but because <laughs> I, I, again, like I said, the, the, the text itself in Romans 9 is actually yeah. arguing about electing Individuals. Of people. Yes. That's what it's talking about. Because people if it's agree. just, if it's just corporate... Then why but that is, can be both plural and no, singular. Romans 9 is about Paul being upset that there are individuals that he knows who are Jewish who aren't coming to faith. And right. he's heart-stricken over those individuals that he knows right. that aren't coming to faith. So Romans 9 is establishing that individuals within the Jewish nation aren't coming to faith. Yeah, that's and what he says why. at the end, even us. Mm-hmm. And, and, and by even us, he's referring to the Christians, yes. who he's chosen out from mm-hmm. Jews, Think about that. He's, he's talking about out from the Jewish nation. There's a body out from the Jewish nation and out from Gentiles, out from the, Jew, the Gentile nations. So, again, this is a, it's very difficult to argue corporate election completely through Romans 9. There have been many who have tried to do it. I tried for a long time. It's just really hard with the language. 
There, there are other places in the scriptures that's easier to do. So, and I agree with you. I agree with you, right? Because I, I don't make the argument that there isn't. Because uh, I think that there is. I think that the scriptures are messier than we would like to think them to be, without a doubt. So here, here's my 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 big push in this is I, I want us to, as a church, embrace two things really strongly. On the one hand, God elects. And I believe he elects based upon his sovereign grace, based upon his own will. Not the will of man, but his own will. Okay? That's that's language from the scriptures that I'm using there. On the other side, I want us to recognize that people really do choose God. They really do. And I'm also going to say that God really wants everyone to be saved. So so you're saying, well, how can both those things be true? They are. So interestingly enough, this is like the first time I think we've ever come closest to an agreement. Mm-hmm. Is uh, is that that's very much the way I feel? Although I don't push the election quite as hard as you do, is I, I read scriptures like second, it's like First Timothy two, two four two four right, and this is the same Paul speaking right. Uh, that, and 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 I'm saying so First Timothy two four said God wants all people to come to come to the knowledge of the truth, and so the line of reasoning here ends up becoming well, if God wants everyone to be saved. And he has the power to save anybody, everybody. Then why isn't everyone saved? Because we know those three things are true. Now the answer to that question is either well he can't save everyone because of human freedom limitations he has on human freedom, or there are reasons that he doesn't save people, everybody, that either he's communicated to us and that he wants other things, or he's left it silent. Now I'm going to go with the second choice. There, because I I think God is presented as being exhaustively sovereign in the Bible, even over the will of men. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to go there because I just don't think the Bible mm-hmm. goes there. So where where do I, where am I left? I'm left with saying either I don't know why God doesn't save everyone, and there must be something else God wants besides just to save people. Now I can show you in Scripture yeah. that that's actually the case; that He also wants to display His power and make His wrath known. Uh, to the objects of so the objects of his wrath, which is the text I just read. So, so I'm saying that God has more of an more agenda than just the saving of people. It's not the only thing to reduce him down to being like God's only thing he ever wants is just to save people, and he's trying his hardest and he just can't get there. That's not what the scriptures seem to indicate. So I would I would um, agree that that's a possibility that God must, might have a reason he's not told us of why he's elected certain individuals and that's the way things work. Problem is that I have is that the scripture's messier than that, in particular in that the Bible seems to make it very <coughs> clear that we are responsible Amen. for the deeds we do, Amen. particularly the evil deeds. Now, I'm going to say then that I'm not only responsible for the sin that I do, but also the good that I do to some extent. Yep. Now, how much that is, I'll admit it's complicated right. and, and messy. And, and, and I'm, I'm suggesting, <clears throat> though, Andy, that my answer to you is yes. And does God want people to say yes? The lady came up to me this weekend and said to me, my, my kids aren't, don't believe and she's got tears in her eyes, and she like just I. And you know, my word to her is, God wants your kids to be saved. That's that's biblical. I'm using the Bible's language there. Now, I also know that that God elects a people for His own possession, based not upon what He sees in them in advance, but based purely on His sovereign grace. 
I don't know who's elect. I don't know who's not not elect. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I don't know why he chose the ones he chose and not the ones he didn't choose. I, I don't know that. But the Bible says both of those things. And so I'm going to affirm that God wants your kids to be saved, and I'm also going to affirm that God elects a people for his own purpose. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end of the day, I'm going to stand before God, and either it will make sense or forever and ever and ever I will worship him to the praise of his glorious grace, as it says in Ephesians 1, or as Jesus prayed, and this is Greg's point in the weekend, as Jesus Christ, such was your gracious will. Mm-hmm. So forever I'll praise God for his grace over mm-hmm. this doctrine. And I believe, like Greg said, we should worship God for this in the mm-hmm. present time because he is wise and he's done all things well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to jump to one thing, though, really quickly. In uh, Matthew 11, so what I was saying before, mm. this is the text that Greg was preaching on, but right before that text that Greg was preaching on, he's preaching on Matthew eleven twenty five and following. What you have in Matthew eleven twenty is actually what I was talking about earlier, that God, before the foundations of the earth, had to make a choice about what kind of world he was going to make, regardless, even if you say, well, he's making a decision based upon what he foresees in people. So here you go, Matthew eleven twenty. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it, that city, would have remained until this day. God would not have brought judgment upon them because they would have repented. Did Sodom repent? No. Why not? God didn't do the mighty works. Because God didn't do the mighty works in Sodom. What? Why wouldn't God do mighty works in a place where people would repent? That's my point. God chose to make a world. I'm just saying God chose to make a world where Sodom wouldn't repent. Could he have made a world where they did? Yes. Did he choose not to? No. Why? So now you're left in the question. Yeah. And we don't like that question. And I, you don't like the question. <laughs> but don't, don't argue then at this point suggesting that, oh, no, 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 God, he, the, unless you go, that the future is totally open and God doesn't know it. Right. It's the only way. But this text says he does. And he that's knows. problematic because we start messing with the attributes of God. Right. Thus, it's unorthodox. My problem then is where you go the flip side and we have these hyper-Calvinists that make God the author of evil. Right. And I think that right. I think that's so, outside the playground. So you see why I'm trying yeah, I know. my best to hold these two things and preach as firmly that you are responsible. Turn. Come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden. Come. Come. Re- repent. Open the door. Believe in Jesus. God wants you to be saved. He wants everybody to say, doesn't take delight in the death of the wicked. And on the other hand, praise to the God who, of glorious grace who elects a people for his own possession based purely on his sovereign will. So, but both are true, and I know that people who are listening to me will recoil at one of those as opposed to the other. We, for some reason in our culture, we really like the first one and not the second, but I'm telling you that the Bible tells, says, says both of those things. And so we as a church are trying to say both things, and you, we can try to debate and talk about how we're going to work those out, but most of our pastors, even Andy is to some degree saying, mm, yeah, we're trying to work this out. Oh, well, absolutely. Even philosophers will try to work that out right. and say, well, then we'll put in this idea of counterfactuals right. that God knows 
all possible worlds which and all is possible what options. I, which is what that text seems mm. to indicate that I just read. Yes. That God does know counterfactuals. But then the question is, does that mean that he chooses based upon his knowledge of counterfactuals or <clears throat> not? And we can debate that. And that's those are legitimate, wonderful debates. But as long as we recognize that these two things, the Bible seems to be indicating. And I just, where Jeff and I would differ is I would lean more towards human free will responsibility mm-hmm. and, and, and Jeff would. And I, Jeff, would be more balanced. <laughs> and Jeff would be right is that what you but I do want to make it clear that I think that you're right it's complicated and messy and I think when you it start pushing when you it's funny because as soon as you try to work out that mess <clears> too <throat> too much I think you'll end up going too, right. yeah, I, too I just, far in one direction I think my challenge with all this is that it, I hear people say things that are just patently untrue biblically and they they and I'm not trying to be I don't, I don't want to be accused of kids because, because most people are ignorant when it comes to this subject and ignorant with what the scriptures say in regard to it. And so we end up saying things that just aren't true. So there have been people who come in our office and I've tried to get them, look, if, you're gonna, if you don't like the viewpoint that I have on this, here's the viewpoint you ought to have in, 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 in opposition. This is the viewpoint you ought to have. God elects people. He does it based upon what he foresees in them. There are problems biblically with that. But, what, but that, you can make the Bible work in some ways with that. You can. But what you can't make the Bible say is that, no, God elects everybody. Or I don't believe in election. I hear people say that. Or I don't believe in a God like that. Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. Everybody believes in a God as long as, as, long as he knows the future. Everybody believes in a God who made a deliberate choice to make a world not not everybody was going to be saved, based either on his own divine choice or based upon what he foresaw in them, and he chose not to make a world where so-and-so, you know, if Christopher, Hitch, Christopher Hitchens is not saved. If that world was possible. Right. Well, he, all possible worlds are. The no, argument of Molinism, just so you know, argument of Molinism, which is sort of trying to play with this, is that the world that you're in right now is God's best attempt where the most people can be, get saved, right? I, I significantly wonder about that, but they're establishing a whole debate about what kind of free will people have, which is a whole philosophical debate, which is lots of fun to have, and we can have it, and, that, and that's great. Um, but you can see how the argument here goes. I'm going to add one more piece because I'm really going. <laughs> Please also don't expect somebody who's going to stand up in a pulpit to, to play the disinterested bystander when he stands up and he gives a word hmm. about a text. Like he's, he's a proclaimer of the word of God. He's standing up there and he's going to take the text and he's going to try to explain it the best way he knows how. For you then to say, well, I don't like the way he explained it. He should have given the 15 different views on that sex. Come on. That assumes that all 15 views are equal, that there are 15 views on the text, that assumes all, all of that. We, we have what's called a radical skepticism these days among many Christians, meaning that, boy, a lot of really smart people debate about this. That must mean there's no answer. What? Hmm. No. That's just defending your own ignorance. Hmm. You don't know anything about it. You want to feel defended in your ignorant per- perspective on the issue, so you don't want anyone to come out dogmatically on one side or the other. The problem hmm. is the people who know more about this are more dogmatic right. on one side or the other. You know why? Because they know more about it. So don't expect the pastors of the churches, or regardless of what side you take on this, to be um, 
non-dogmatic in their viewpoints. There's a guy named Roger Olson whose viewpoint I don't agree with on this issue, but I appreciate the fact that he is dogmatic in his views mm-hmm. on the opposite side of me because he's, he's, he's not apologizing for the way that he reads the text. I don't, I don't agree with him, but I don't expect him to stand up and say, well, it's really, con- I don't know, and every view is allowable. I, you know what? He should stand up if he's preaching a sermon and preach the text the best way he can and then let the people judge whether or not, like good Bereans, judge whether or not he's handled the text well. Right. Right? So <clears throat> you and Andy disagree in a lot of points in this topic, uh, but I yet... Don't, I don't know about a lot of points. I actually think Andy and I disagree based upon on what basis does God elect. So Andy's going to argue... I'm putting words in your mouth, brother, but I, a- Andy, I think, is going to argue that people have a libertarian free will and God can't determine their choice. He can't logically determine their choice. I'm going to say, yes, he can. That, that really is the fundamental difference between our viewpoints. It's a philosophical mm-hmm. difference. Uh, I'm going to argue, this probably has some, di- my training was in biblical exegesis, Andy's was in philosophy, and so th- th- there is a difference there. If you, if you approach this from philosophy, you're probably going to come at it from Andy's point of view. If you, if you come from biblical exegesis, most biblical exegetes I know go the direction I'm going. So that, and that's exactly right. There's philosophical reasons. Right. That, now, interestingly enough, to be fair, a lot of Reformed guys will use the same philosophical line of thinking right. I will, uh, but they'll just won't agree with it. They'll just use it. And I think this is this is valid, though. They'll use it as a possible option. It's a option. thought experiment. It's a yeah, try to, it's a try to demonstrate to de- there's not logical contradictions. Right. They, and, God could have done it this way, even though they don't believe that he did it this way. He could have done it this way, and that's usually used in an apologetic setting to say, look, you guys argue that God is responsible for evil. Actually, there is a way that he's not responsible for evil, right. and here's how. Which would be the free will defense. And they find it palatable. Which yeah. would be helpful. I think it's helpful for people just to understand that that sometimes we can that we can have these conversations, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you, ag- I you love agree with He's all my these dear things. brother. Well, that's what I wanted to get yeah. across. You guys can I fellowship think. together. You can sit beside uh-huh. each other in right. church. I think and- he's wrong. <laughs> As I think Jeff is wrong, right? But, but my, that's right. My, I think that's my point, though, is that we, we, we disagree about the subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope Andy comes to my point of view, and I try to convince him of it at, at every point. But that's okay if he do, if he doesn't it, at the at the end of the day. That, yeah, this, Andy's needs to needs to deal with that between him him and God. Like I I do too. I'm responsible for what I teach to people. Greg's responsible for what he teaches to people. Uh, I, but don't expect Greg to back down to, from his views. Like he somehow needs to apologize for holding a viewpoint that is uh, not only biblically defensible but also well within not only the bounds but it, it really was the, the the major opinion among many in the church for centuries. Well, especially when you're preaching a text. Right. you got to be true to the text. Right. Whether it takes you where you want it or not. This is what's interesting. I heard some people respond to Greg's sermon by saying, oh, but we, the Mennonite Brethren tradition, we don't hold that viewpoint. You know what viewpoint the Mennonite Brethren hold? That the Bible has authority. We're, We're people of the book. So we don't try to drop any systematic categories over a particular text or not. What Greg did was eminently MB, which is, here's a passage... I'm going to try to explain how Jesus hides it from the wise and learned and reveals it to little children. Such is your gracious will. Here's what that language seems to be saying. Yeah. I, I think it's important just to note that we can disagree with one another on these 
these uh, open-handed issues mm. and we can still get along. Mm. I think what Jeff's saying, though, is really important. If you're going to disagree, though, at least make sure you're thinking clearly on the subject right. and mm. you understand what you're disagreeing on. Mm. So in heaven, one of you is going to be able to say to the other, Ha! Yeah. Uh, told you I was and, right. You know, we probably won't say that to each other. <laughs> well, no, in a, few, in a few millennia. Yeah. But so, I've honestly said this to Jeff, though. It could very well be the case right, that yeah. we get there and I'm like, yeah, you were right. Right. And at that point, you'll be like, doesn't matter. Mia culpa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I will say, though, to, to there's that side of it, but there's also the side that you just as teachers of, of the word, you, you need to understand, though, that we, you know, 1 Corinthians 3, we, be careful how you build is what Paul says. And so this is one of those areas where, yes, there's some wood, hay, and stubble and someone's teaching here, whether mine, Andy's, whatever. And we, we take seriously that we, are, we stand before God and we, we wouldn't be teaching what we're teaching if we didn't believe it to be true. Uh, I've heard somebody called me a heretic the other day for believing this, view, the viewpoint I hold, which I just think is unreal. That's such a mm. loose use of that term mm. and so outside the bounds of what heresies ever I mean. The viewpoint that, that I hold is not only well within the bounds of Christian orthodoxy, it's been like the biggest view for most of the years. Since Augustine. And so I'm, I'm mm-hmm. just saying, I'm just saying, be real careful with that sort of language. I would never call an Arminian a heretic. I would never call them. What's her- I have actually had people meet with me in my offices at Northview who've actually held heretical views, thinking, of course, that I'm a heretic for not holding theirs. But theirs are historically outside. They're actually Pelagian. In the view, that's a heresy. So I try to tell them, okay, don't hold that view. You should hold this view. If you disagree with me at this point, that's fine. But just don't hold that view. Hold this one. It gets you inside of the Orthodox camp. Hmm. Um, this email ends with a true story. A friend of mine has been struggling, wanting to become a Christian. He told me that maybe salvation was not meant for him. He also has difficulty with some questions. Accordingly, we have gone to Andy Steiger's Thinking series nice. on Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights, uh, <laughs> 7 p.m. There's a book that corresponds to that. There's a book that corresponds with that. The book. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's it. Just wanted you to get Yeah, yeah, no. right, I appreciate that. A week ago, he told me he had taken Christ into his life. Ah, praise so God, eh? very cool. I am so very grateful that he took this step before hearing last Sunday's sermon, the one we're just mm-hmm. referring to that Greg did. He would surely have concluded that he was one of the unchosen ones. Oh, so I, what do you make of that story? Oh, I, I don't know. That's that's what we call a counterfactual you know, that they've created. What's interesting, though, is this was one of the greatest pieces of feedback, greatest in terms of numerical, that I heard from people about my sermon was, I am so grateful that my non-Christian friends didn't hear that sermon um, because they would have... I know, they say, that they would not have come to Christ through that sermon. Oh, and yet there and are my many re- people who have come to faith in Christ and my by response, hearing those very things. My response to them has been, same that I'll say to this person, that let's not put shackles on what God can do through his word by his spirit. Yeah. What's the responsibility of a pastor, right? I mean, a few weeks ago, actually, uh, I, I spoke about the respo- what, what, a, what Paul understood his ministry to be, and that was that of the watchman who's supposed to sound a clear bell regarding the, the, the coming hordes against the city, or in his language, you know, in Acts 20, I did, not, I, I did not hesitate from teaching you the whole counsel of God. The responsibility of Greg is to teach the whole counsel of God. One of my concerns with establishing mission, I don't mean the town, mission as the only thing that we're about is that I somehow need to cater everything I say about God 
to the palatable whims or the, 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 you know, the changing whims of a culture that doesn't believe in him. Just, you know, just say something. Don't say something that's going to put them off. Why not? Like if the Bible says it and Jesus is not ashamed of it, then my question is, would your friend not come to faith in Christ if he read Matthew eleven twenty five to 30? Because that's the question here. Because then my question then is, if they say, well, no, he wouldn't, then what Christ is he coming to? Right. Now, people would push back and say, well, does he only have that past Matthew, Matthew 11 to read? And we would say, no, 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 we preach the okay. whole council. Right, but, but, but Matthew 11 is something Jesus said. That's why we put these big signs up at our <laughs> services that say, Jesus said what? With people with their hands over their mouth, like, what? He said that? That's what's so funny about all this. Like, that's what people look like after you read these things. Yes, but maybe it is that the Jesus that you think exists is the one that isn't quite right, that you're learning something about him that's a little bit different than what you always think. So you're put in a position where either you're going to listen to what the Word of God says about Jesus, or you're going to create a Jesus of your own making. Go with the first. Can I say something? I've been quiet for a while. Just <laughs> I, listening yeah, to I, the banter going back. I, See, I think, okay, <laughs> so as a, as, a, as a preacher of the Word of God, one of the things, obviously, I get to stand in front of people, big crowds, small crowds, doesn't matter. And I have to proclaim the Word of God based on the text that I've been assigned. Right. And obviously, sometimes when I'm putting together a text, I, I am afraid about some of the things that this text is saying. So you study the text, you see it's saying this scathing thing. And I have to stand up in front of people and actually say it. So I can approach it two ways. One of the ways would be, okay, let me try and say it in a nice way, in a palatable way, so that it can be it can win a so that I can win a hearing uh, among the people who have come. I can try and soften it, make, make it nicer, add some sugar to it. Or I could be faithful to this passage and just explain the text as is in as winsome a way as I possibly can, but not skirting the issues, not dodging the, mm. the potholes there, but just going directly to what the text is actually saying. You see, I think, given I am very much on Jeff's side on this issue, and probably a little further in. <laughs> a lot further. <laughs> in, say, in, in believing this, the question would be, how, how does a person come to saving faith? How? Yes, everybody chooses. Agreed. But how do they choose? Mm -hmm. Does it make me a better chooser than my grandfather who, who died without knowing Jesus, yet he would have heard the gospel? Am I better than him because I can? Ch I choose, I'm a better chooser? Well, you, and, you, and you see it more clearly than he see? does. So, so, yeah. so for me, my argument, and again, I go to 2 Corinthians 4 here. God is the one who opens the eyes of people. He's the one who opens the eyes of someone and shows this person the glorious nature of the gospel such that this person is able to choose God. The only way, because Romans 3 is clear, no one seeks God. So there is no such thing as people who are seekers. There's no such thing. Man so, Men don't. So can I, can I jump onto this? This is actually a really important issue that I would love to have our church here. That, that one of the greatest enemies to biblical faithfulness is the mission of God, our perceived idea of what the mission of God is. 
Now, that, that sounds crazy. I actually I spoke to a leadership meeting in the city in Vancouver recently where I, I, taught, I said, beware the mission. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is the reason that people stop preaching the full counsel of God is because they're looking to save people. And the way you save people is that you don't talk about all the stuff. Because all the stuff is, there's stuff that's a little bit weird. I mean, think about it, man. God God, um, puts under the ban, as they call it. He wants the people of Israel to devote all the people of Jericho, all of them, children, all of them, kill them all. Now, you don't say that. Hell, as a doctrine, you, you don't talk about that. Don't talk about election. Don't talk about it. And yet these concepts are in the Bible. Jesus talks about them. Paul talks about them. These are great missionaries, Paul and Jesus. And they talk about them. And they actually find in them, I mean, Paul, 2 Timothy 2, finds these a great resource for his own ministry. The text that Ezra just talked about, we have this renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, Mm -hmm. but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So like this, the the doctrine of election, as I'm saying, forms for him great hope Mm -hmm. and great strength for the perseverance in the the mission. Mm -hmm. But if all you're seeing is trying to reach people, There's a danger there, and I'm not saying that every missionary does this. I'm mm-hmm. saying that mm-hmm. you have to be careful about trying to reduce everything down to how your unbelieving friend's going to mm-hmm. hear it. You need to say, no, God is God, and the gospel is power of God into salvation for all who believe, and I'm going to proclaim it, and you'd be surprised at how many people come to faith. I would think this is part of the gospel illiteracy of our culture, is that they, oftentimes they've only heard those more palatable verses, yes, right? The bumper stickers, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. But they don't, they don't get this overall picture of okay. Here's, here's some of the stuff you've probably never heard before, but you need to hear. It. My thing is, I think it's so important that we talk about the whole, mm-hmm. because what happens with that young person that that's only heard the the stuff that's you know easy, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, what happens? They head off, and their right. atheist friends are challenging with all this harder stuff, and they've it's, never even heard see, it before. See, my point, my point with bringing up all those passages, this. Obviously, salvation belongs to the Lord. Mm. Salvation belongs to Him. Jonah 2. And, and for me, and for all of us who are preachers of the gospel, and even all of us who are called to disciple people, I think we, we don't know who's, who will be saved and who's not. We don't know. Right. So Regardless pray, of your view on this. Yeah, right. regardless. You we don't, don't know. So we pray, Lord, would you have mercy on these mm. dear ones? Have mercy on them. Open their eyes. And then you preach like crazy. You disciple like crazy. Mm. And then you leave it up to God. Mm. And the only way people come to saving faith is if the Father draws them. And it matters. It, it matters what Jesus they come to. Yes, mm. it does. Right? Absolutely. It, it, you want them to come to Jesus, but it matters what Jesus they come yes. to. If they come to a Jesus who they have no category for him saying, mm-hmm. uh, I hide it. Mm-hmm. from the wise right. and learned, then that's not the Jesus of the Bible. 
So you have to have a category for this Jesus. That's why we're doing this series. Mm-hmm. That's why we're that, that's why we chose these texts. Mm-hmm. Is because we have living around our church community here thought we don't know if everyone quite knows yes. how pointed Jesus is at points and how he says some stuff that just doesn't quite fit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, obviously the scriptures are clear. Not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone. There'll be people whom God will judge and condemn to, to hell. The scriptures are clear on this. Not everyone will come, sadly. So at the end of the day, mm. our responsibility is to be very clear with mm. who Jesus is, what the gospel message is, and you pray and pray and pray. And the day you stop praying for an individual is when they die. Mm. But while they are still breathing, Mm. Man, you pray for them. Man, you visit. You look for ways in which you can mm. share the gospel and contextualize and show them the love of Christ. Mm. And the, sh- the curtain closes mm. the moment the person breathes their last. And then you leave them into the hands. Of, yeah, you all along them, you leave them yeah, into the hands of the Lord. Mm. You leave them to the hands of the Lord. And, sorry, can I say one thing too? Before I was in the role of teaching associate you pastor, I did. Way, just well, I just threw it out there. <laughs> Before I was doing the teaching associate thing, I did the local mission director. So I like I actually care a lot about evangelism, and so mm-hmm. I think that people, I'm I'm concerned if people's view of evangelism is is that they don't feel like they can bring their friends to a church because they're afraid they're going to hear the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Let let's let God be be bigger than our ideas of what message is going to bring people to Him. Let's let's just we can critique someone if what they preached was not true according to the text. That's a valuable critique. But if what was said was true to the text, trust that as preachers we read passages like 2 Timothy 4 that tells us to, 2 Timothy 2, 4 tells us to preach the word and, and to do the work of an evangelist. So in our minds is to try is to try to be preaching the gospel so people can come but, to saving but faith. Greg, you know what the issue is, I think? I'm going to guess here. I think the issue is people are afraid of bringing their friends to hear a sermon like that because there'll be questions now. But that's yeah, good. There'll that's be questions. Right. But I might not people, be able to answer Yes. So because and I feel okay like too, I, right? I, I, I can't answer this question, I can't. So if you feel that, then this is a good problem that you have because mm-hmm. now I should push you into yeah. the yeah. text. But it, it also study. betrays, right. Greg's point is a good one, that it betrays a view of evangelism that Paul didn't have. Yes. Right. That that's what I. That's why Ezra cited Second Timothy or Second Corinthians four. Paul's view of evangelism was: um, we're not trying to dupe anybody, mm-hmm. but open statement of the mm-hmm. truth. We commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. But the God of this, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. But at the end of that text, he says, "The God who said, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ." So, like, you, you need to, gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Right. That mm. you, you proclaim it, and God will bring his people. Yes. Amen. Well, that uh, concludes our 200th podcast. I think we set a new record for time. We're at an hour and 14 minutes. Wow. Should we just keep going for a little bit nope. more? We should hit two hours. No. Nope. No. Nope. 200 minutes. <laughs> it's a good subject and lots of that fun That's a great to talk subject. About. And if you have more questions about that or any other topics, please send your questions to extra at northview.org. Andy, you get the final word as we close out. Jesus said in Matthew, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen. Amen. See you next week.